My wife encouraged me to get uh, a couple of shirts that are they're untucked <laughs> to be worn untucked. Well, and I, I it's the first time I've worn, worn one, so I, I was I was really kind of uh, unsure of myself, shall I say? And so I t- before I left home this morning, I said to Cindy, "Are you sure? Are you, are you sure I should wear this untucked?" And and she's absolutely. That's that's what you got got to do. So my. Uh, you know, my confidence w- was kind of kind of built up from that. And then when I got to church here, Jim pulled me aside and whispered, said, Hey, do you know your shirt's untucked? <laughs> so. It's time. <laughs> you know, I know, I mean, Josh wears untucked shirts all the time. Nobody says anything to him. Hey, Randy's coming. Okay, <laughs> there you go. Okay. Okay. All right, on to more important things, really important things. You know, what I see here in this passage, it's not all I see, but generally what I see here in this passage is a a guy, a man named Apollos, who needed more complete knowledge of Jesus and all that his death and resurrection meant. And I see 12 men here who needed to know more about the Holy Spirit and to receive him and experience his powerful effect in their lives. They all know some things about Jesus. They all believe in Jesus to some degree, but there is more for them to know and experience. One of my favorite commentators, David Guzik, put it this way, they need to go all the way to trust in everything Jesus is and everything he has done and to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to start this morning by just sharing some of the thoughts that, that I believe uh, God, the Holy Spirit, impressed on me or gave me from this general observation. And then, then we're going to move into the details and really delve in, into this passage. My prayer for us, my passion for us is that we would understand and enjoy the heights and depths of the work of Jesus. And that we would understand and enjoy the heights and the depths of all that God has for us in the Holy Spirit. Our full understanding about Jesus matters. It really does. And our full and complete understanding about the Holy Spirit matters. There's a saying that the gospel of Jesus Christ is so simple that a child can understand it. And I believe that. And yet the gospel is so profound and so deep, it goes so far, it has such an incredible effect on our lives that it takes a lifetime to understand it. Paul takes eight chapters in the book of Romans to to explain it. And there's more in Galatians and Colossians and Hebrews and all throughout the New Testament. Like Apollos, we can have an accurate understanding about Jesus, but not a complete understanding about his work and the implications that it is supposed to have in our lives. The very essence of the gospel is that Jesus died for our sins. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. I mean, that, that that should thrill us and I mean, sometimes when I wake up at night, I'll, I'll, just, I'll just think about that. The, Jesus, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. I mean, what an amazing truth. 
Yet it, and it often takes time for us to learn how completely he took our sins away from us and to learn how to, to be free and to live free from the misery of guilt and condemnation for our sins. And then once we learn that Jesus died for our sins, we also learn that we died with him, that we were crucified with him, that we are somehow dead to sin and therefore freed from sin. And in his resurrection, we are raised up to new life. We are made new creations, and, and that affects every area of our life, including our mind and our emotions and even our affections and desires. And, and yet it, t- it, takes, it takes time. It's sometimes a process to, to learn that, to comprehend that, and to grow into that. But I can guarantee you, know, you know, today, no matter how much you know about Jesus, there's more to know and more to appreciate about him and the gospel. There's greater joy to be experienced. There's more living water flowing from our innermost being. There's, there's a greater ability to exalt in your trials than you've ever experienced yet. There's greater freedom from condemnation, greater peace. There is greater hope and spiritual optimism for us in Christ than we have may yet experience simply because we, we, we haven't fully comprehended the gospel. There is there's a way of, a, of living that is abounding in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Not, not just having a glimmer of hope, but of, of overflowing with hope because of all that Christ has done for us, and all that he has in store for us. And it, it's so great that it takes the power of the Holy Spirit to, to fully bring that alive in our hearts. I honestly believe that we've barely scratched the surface of these things. There is so much to know about Jesus and all he has done for us that it staggers our imagination. There's so much love revealed for us in Christ that Paul prayed that we would have the power together with all the saints, to comprehend or to grasp how wide and how long, how high and how deep is the love of Christ. I mean, it, it takes prayer and it takes revelation along with diligent study of scriptures to grow into a fuller knowledge of Christ and to more fully appreciate and enjoy the riches that we have in him. And with greater and more complete understanding of our riches in Christ, there's a higher way to live than most of us are living. And probably you could say there's a higher way to live than all of us or any of us are living. And it's, it's right out there in front of us. It's not like it's a long ways away. It's right out there in front of us. And that, that's why it's such a wonderful thing to be a Christian. The, the, the best, the greater, the more glory is, is just always right that out there ahead of us. Our best is always yet to come as a believer. Paul said, we, we exalt in hope of the glory of God. After he describes some, you know, a little bit of what we have through faith in Jesus Christ, he says, not only this, we exalt in hope of the glory of God. It's like what we have tasted has brought so much joy that we are head over heels with joy over what is coming. I mean, we... We, uh, I don't know, apparently I didn't communicate that very well. The, 
what we've tasted is so good that we exalt in hope of what is yet coming. I mean, we, we're, we're head over heels with joy. I mean, I, to me, that's what exalting means. I mean, I, there's, there's, there's kind of to be happy, there's to rejoice, and that, but to exalt is like ultimate joy, extreme joy. We exalt in hope of the glory of God. We've, we've tasted and we just know there's, there's so much more what is coming. And then the gospel reveals that Jesus Christ redeemed us so that we might receive the promise of the Spirit. This is one of the things I was so impressed with from our study in the book of Galatians. You know, there's, it's, Galatians is such a powerful book on explaining the, the, the beauty of the gospel and the free gift that we have through faith in Christ. And, it, and then it tells us that Christ redeemed us He redeemed us from the curse so that we might receive the promise of the Spirit. In other words, Christ bled and died for you so that you could be a dwelling for the Holy Spirit. The goal of the gospel is that we might be men and women, young and old, filled up with Him, filled up with the Spirit, singing to one another, as it says. To be that filled, that's pretty filled. To be filled with the Spirit that we're singing to one another, speaking spiritual things to one another, submitting to one another. That's being really filled with the Spirit. <laughs> Always giving thanks in all things. You know, in the book of the Acts, we, of, of Acts, we see the Holy Spirit uh, stirring people to declare the wonders of God in unknown languages, inspiring words of prophecy. We see the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts speaking to men and women, speaking to the church, sending people out to the work, guiding, comforting, assuring, forbidding, healing, dealing with demons, granting boldness, signs and wonders. Over and over we see people doing things as, as men and women filled with the Spirit. I mean, just that phrase alone is just repeated over and over and over. So-and-so filled with the Holy Spirit did this or said this. I believe with all my heart that God uses these stories from Acts to awaken our hearts to something that is beyond this natural human life that we have. There there is more to life than what we see and feel and touch. There's a kingdom of heaven. There's a life in the spirit. And Jesus died to bring us into that. He redeemed us from the curse of the law so that he might bring us into this kingdom, this unseen heavenly kingdom where there is life, real life in the Holy Spirit. And if nothing else in our study of Acts, not like we're done yet, but we've been in it for a while, but if nothing else in our study of Acts, I hope that every one of us have been exposed to things that stretch us, that open our hearts to things beyond where we have been. And that we would long for more, that we would long to know Jesus and the power of his resurrection more. That we would long to know the Holy Spirit and all that it means to be filled with the Spirit and to be filled with joy and boldness and peace and and to manifest, to be manifestors of the gifts of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit. You know, before Cindy and I got married... I lived with a, a, a friend of mine who I who had grown up with and gone to church with. 
And his parents made him go to church. And, but this kid was a rebel at heart. And he turned against God, declared himself to be an atheist. He turned against the church. He didn't want to have anything to do with Christianity. But sometime when he was about 20 years old, uh, he, heard, he turned to Christ and he had this powerful salvation experience. And, and I'll never forget something he told me later about his time as an unbeliever. He said, all that time that I, that I was in rebellion against God, he said, I always knew that if Christianity were true, there had to be something magical about it. <laughs> and I know we don't like that word magical, but what he meant was there had to be... There had to be something beyond uh, this, this natural world about it. There had to be something supernatural about it. Something inside him told him that Christianity could not just be a religion of meetings and laws. There had to be a supernatural element to it. And I believe that in his heart, even, even as a rebel against God, he was crying out for that reality. He'd been brought up in a Christian home, but he was crying out, for an experience with the risen Jesus. He was crying out for the kind of Christianity that we see in Acts. And I simply ask you, does not your heart cry out for this too? All right, then I want to move on here to, the, to our story today. And we're going to come back to some of these things that I've, that I've um, introduced this morning. But I want to come to our story Luke tells us, if you, if you were here a couple of weeks ago, uh, last week was on thanks, thankfulness, but a couple of weeks ago, if you remember, Paul was in Corinth, okay? And Luke tells us that Paul left Corinth after being there a year and a half. Remember how the Holy Spirit, not the Holy Spirit, but the Lord appeared to him in a vision at night, told him, you know, don't be afraid, I'm with you. No one's going to harm you here. I have many people here. I want you to just stay and keep speaking, keep proclaiming the gospel. And so Paul did that. He stayed there a year and a half like God told him. But now, after being there for that long, Paul is headed home, and his home is Antioch. And on his way home, he made a brief stop at Ephesus, and he he spoke about Jesus in the local synagogue. Uh, Some Jews were interested in what he had to say, But when they asked Paul to stay longer, he declined their invitation, but he said, I will come back to you if God wills. And Luke says that Paul got on a ship to finish his journey home. However, he left a couple of his dear friends and fellow workers, Priscilla and Aquila. He left them at Ephesus. And we're going to see that they they play an important part of the story of what's going to happen there. Well, Paul did go on home. He, he finished his journey. He arrived back home at his, at his home church in Antioch. And that was the end of what is called his second missionary journey. If, if, if you're trying to keep track of these, it can get very confusing about first missionary journey, second, third, and where they start and stop. Well, that was the end of, of his second missionary journey. It's, it's right in your bulletin there at the end of chapter 18 if you're looking for it. But after some period of time, it says that Paul left Antioch again. And he went out, it says, to strengthen all the disciples. That's the beginning of his third missionary journey. And it doesn't doesn't say it right there in your Bible, but that is the beginning of his third missionary journey. Well, meanwhile, 
or where all this was going on, Paul is doing all these travels, getting home, heading back out. Back at Ephesus, there's a guy named Apollos who shows up. And Luke tells us that Apollos was a learned man, that's NIV, or the ESV says an eloquent man. I'm not not sure uh, why the uh, divergent uh, uh, translation there, but you, you can pick what you want. He, he was either very smart or he was a very good speaker. Okay, Probably both. He said, Luke says that he had a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He'd been instructed in the way of the Lord, being fervent in spirit. He spoke and taught about Jesus accurately. It's an interesting statement. He spoke and taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John. In other words, it says he knew the scriptures well, he spoke accurately about Jesus, but he still lacked understanding about Jesus in some significant ways. He probably did not understand fully all that had been revealed to Paul about the full implication or meaning of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ and all that that means for those who believe in Jesus. Luke doesn't go into detail, he just says that his knowledge of Christ was accurate, but not complete. So, we come back to Priscilla and Aquila. When, when, they, when they heard him, they knew that he needed to know more, which they knew they'd been with Paul. And so they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately, or other translations, the ESV and, NI, or, and New American Standards say more fully, or more perfectly, or more more completely. I think that that all communicates pretty much the same thing. Um, there's a, a pastor by the name of Jack Arnold uh, has a website called ClearTheology.com that that I like quite a bit, and he said this. He said Apollos was saved, but ignorant in some ways. He was sincere but uninformed about some things. He was a halfway Christian, limited because of lack of knowledge. Um, He says he knows that people would have a lot of problems with that term, halfway Christian. But he said that's kind of a a way to describe him. He was saved, but yet, in, in a sense, didn't have the full story. He was uninformed and ignorant about some things. You know, when the Bible talks about being saved there is a kind of absolute sense in which we either believe in Jesus or we do not. We either are born again or we're not. We either have the life or we do not have the life. But in another very real sense, our full and accurate understanding of Jesus and and even our belief in him can sometimes feel more like a process than a momentary crisis. Momentary crisis. I mean, it, it's, if I ask you, and I'm not, I'm not going to, but if I ask you how many Christians here, how many believers know that you believe, but you're, but you're, you're not sure of the, the exact time or moment or situation that, that you came to faith in Christ, I'm, I'm going to say that probably a lot, of, a lot of people would raise their hand. I mean, I know I invited Christ into my life several times. <laughs> Because I wasn't always just, you know, no sure. Spurgeon wrote, many are gradually brought to Christ, and yet they are truly brought to Christ. 
And like Apollos, we can be saved, but lacking certain truths and understanding of all that we have from Christ. And as, as I said, many who have been saved for a long time have very limited understanding of all that Christ did for them. It shouldn't be that way. It should not be that way. Sometimes in the church, many people who've been in the church for a long time, and uh, I don't mean this insulting, but really should should know and apprehend and comprehend more, just just don't. And and the gospel isn't isn't really that impressive to them, or they don't really enjoy it that much because they they just haven't come into a more complete understanding. Many have a very limited joy in Christ due to that lack of understanding. I love what Randy Alcorn said. He said, if the gospel doesn't make us happy, we are not believing the good news or not grasping its full extent. Very true. Some of us are not walking in freedom from sin as we could and should. Some are not walking in freedom from legalism or from condemnation and guilt as we could and should. Some of us are stuck even in bondage to certain thought patterns and emotional patterns that we could and should be freed from by the cross of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ is a bigger solution to your life than you could ever imagine. It's better news than we could ever imagine. And one of the saddest things for me as a, as a, as a pastor is to talk to people who, who do not see the gospel as a very big solution. I mean, you, you try to take them into the, into the glory, the glorious truth and the power and of, of all that we have in Christ and trying to bring confront their lives and their, and their situations with that. And it's the, the answer or the response is almost like, well, yeah, but this is, you don't understand. This is what I'm going through. I mean, there, there, it's just almost like the gospel is a brush off. It's not a big solution. And it is. We need to see the gospel as a bigger solution for our lives than we could ever imagine. And without doubt, many of us need to know the way of Christ more, more accurately or more completely. Um, just as it says that Apollos did. So uh, let, us, let us be men and women, uh, young and old, who go on to a, to a greater discovery of Jesus and all that he purchased for us. You know, I mean, let us be, pa- let's be passionate about that. Paul, Paul was, oh, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Let's, be, let's, be pa- let's believe that there's more out there <laughs> to apprehend, to apply to our lives. This is a higher and better way to live as we more completely comprehend all that Jesus has done for us. You know, we should, we should never be bored with the gospel. We should never be bored with Jesus Christ. We should never be bored with the good news. Well, thankfully, Apollos was eager to learn more about Christ and he was humble, in, he was humble enough, which I think is a pretty big deal. Here's this guy, very highly educated, great speaker, so he knew the scriptures well. And what he did know, it says, was accurate. But here he was humble enough to, to be instructed by this husband and wife team, Priscilla and Aquila. And it says it, it, he gained a more complete understanding of the message of Christ. And then he went on to Achaia 
And Achaia is where Corinth was located. He went on to Achaia and probably more specifically to Corinth to preach Christ there. And Luke says, He was a great help to those who by grace had believed, for he vigorously refuted his Jewish opponents in public debate, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. So, by having a more complete or accurate understanding about Jesus, it makes a difference. It made a huge difference for Apollos to get to, 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 to understand that, to apprehend it. And God used him mightily, but he needed to have that time where he sat down in the home of Priscilla and Aquila and understood more of what Jesus meant. More of what the gospel meant. More of what the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus meant. All right, then we come back to Paul at the beginning of chapter 19. Remember, Paul had gone home to Antioch. He had launched out on his third missionary trip. And he, he started this trip, or he launched out on this trip while Apollos was at Corinth, okay, Paulus has, has left Ephesus. He's over at Corinth. And it says that, as Luke puts it, and it happened while Apollos was at Corinth, that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus. All right, so he, he's, he had told them earlier, he said, if, you know, if, the, if God wills it, I'll come back to you. He, and he declined to stay earlier, but now he's back at Ephesus. And somewhere either either in Ephesus or right around Ephesus, it says, And finding some disciples, he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They somehow showed evidence of being disciples, or Luke calls them disciples. Or when Paul found them, he considered that they were disciples. You know, perhaps the twelve the twelve, and it's interesting, there were 12 of them. Uh, perhaps the 12 of them were, were meeting and studying the scriptures together in a, in a kind of men's Bible study. Uh, and Paul ran, in, ran into them and you know, found 12 disciples. Or perhaps they were going out together, talking to others about Jesus, or at least what they understood about him from John's message. Um, Paul regards them as having believed in some sense. Okay? Paul regards them as having believed in some sense at least because he used the, ref- the phrase, when you believed. Johnny's not bothering me, Luke. That's why you're walking out. Even though their belief is shown to be a partial belief or, or a belief that needed more information or a belief that needed to be completed... Uh, But it seems that these 12 men were in a similar spiritual place as Apollos. They had repented and believed in Jesus as the becoming Messiah, as John taught them. They'd been baptized in John's baptism, but there was something lacking in their understanding of Christ. They had not been baptized in the name of Jesus either, and they lacked what? Paul, or Luke calls, receiving the Holy Spirit. Uh, Again, a quote from David Guzzi. He said, They knew enough to be saved and to be students of Jesus. They were called disciples, 
but they didn't know much about all that Jesus did for us, especially his promise to send the Holy Spirit when he ascended to heaven. So Paul apparently noticed some lack of evidence that they had received the Holy Spirit, which prompted him to ask, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Uh, Paul was just, he was concerned that there was something lacking or something deficient in their relationship with the Holy Spirit. And he, he wanted them to receive and experience all that God had promised for believers in Jesus. Um, he, he wanted them to know, to know about the Holy Spirit. He wanted them to know whether or not they had the Holy Spirit's the Holy Spirit, and to fully experience his indwelling. Well, what did Paul see that sparked his concern about their lack of the Holy Spirit? In other words, why did he say, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Well, we don't know. We, we, just, we don't know. Uh, but often, it is, it is just evident when, when someone needs to be touched by the Spirit. I mean, sometimes you know it yourself. Uh, Charles Spurgeon said, I, he has an excellent message on this passage, by the way, if anybody wants to go look through the old sermon archives of Spurgeon, it's a, it's a great one. But he said, I know some who, to whom this question is needless. You do not need, you do not ask them if they have received the Holy Spirit but you stand and admire the work of the Spirit of God in them. And that, wow, that's, that's where we want to live, isn't it? Amen. You know, where people, they don't need to ask you if you've received the Holy Spirit. They just kind of stand back and admire the work of the Spirit in your life. Continue on with Spurgeon. The notion has sprung up that you cannot tell whether you have the Holy Spirit or not, but you can. Give a man an electric shock and he will know it. But if he has the Holy Ghost, he will know it much more. (laughs) I like that. If you do not feel the Holy Ghost at work distinctly and perceptibly, perceptibly even now, then lift up your heart to God for it and pray that you may now receive him in all his fullness. You know, some of the indications of the Spirit's presence... Uh, and this is not an exhaustive list, list by any means, but just, I mean, some of the indications that the Holy Spirit is present, that people have received and filled and enjoying a relationship with the Holy Spirit, is that they're comforted by Him. There's a comfort in their life. There's a peace and a comfort. The Holy Spirit's a comforter. They're conscious of Him and that He is in us or in them. In a substantial way, we are empowered by Him. We're, we're living not perfectly, but substantially in righteousness, peace, and joy in the Spirit. The, the, the gifts and, or the manifestation of the Spirit are active in and through us. The fruit of the Spirit is present. There's a spirit of praise and worship and thankfulness is present. These, these are all things that Scripture talks about over and over again. These are the things that should characterize when the, when the Holy Spirit is Received, filling us at work in our lives. Now, their, their, their answer to Paul, the answer to this question, again, Paul's question was, did you receive the, the Spirit when you believe? Their answer confirmed Paul's concern. They said to him, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. 
regardless of the, tr- of the truth that they knew about Jesus, and it was partial truth, they knew nothing about the Holy Spirit. To them, at this point in their lives, to this point in their experience, he might as well not even exist. And in fact, that's exactly what they said. We don't know if there is such a thing as the Holy Spirit. We've not heard of him or heard about him. No one had taught them anything about him. And many believers, I mean, regardless of, your, of anybody's theological background about, about the Holy Spirit, many believers in terms of their personal knowledge and experience are in very much the same position as these 12 men at Ephesus. They know in theory that there is a Holy Spirit. They, they know maybe even in theory uh, that he indwells them. But as far as they personally know him, they may not be sure whether there is really a Holy Spirit or not. And that's not right. Because the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ provides for you to have a full-on relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I've, I've shared this story before, but I remember years ago, uh, I was up at a funeral service, some place way up in northern Iowa, and there was an old church. They had stained glass windows up in front of the church. And I was sitting there in a very meditative state, and I looked up there, and it said, We believe in God the Father and in His Son in the next window, and the third window said, and we believe in the Holy Spirit. And man, that hit me. Do I? And it was, it was, it was it, I'm not, not going to say that was like the first time that I've experienced the Holy Spirit, but it was, it was like a, a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit. It was just like, yes, I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Father, God our Father, and in His Son, and I believe in the Holy Spirit. And you know what? That was probably a really dead church that I, that I was in. But God somehow came alive to me when I, when I saw that. Quote, to quote Spurgeon again, men do not say, I hope I have an estate. For, forgive all the archaic language and calling them the Holy Ghost and all that, but so, it's so, so good. Men do not say, I hope I have an estate. Or we might say, I hope I have a house. Men do not say, I think I have a wife and children. We are quite clear about these matters one way or the other. We could not live on guesswork in our daily lives, much less as to eternal things. And before I finish this quote, I, I, I just want to camp on that. You know, we know a lot of things about our daily, earthly, natural lives, what we can see and feel and touch. I mean, we know if we feel good or not. We know if we're wearing a blue sweater or not or whatever. And we know all these things. We know what kind of car we're driving. We know if we have a house or not. We know how many kids we have. Spurgeon is saying we need to be that sure about eternal realities. We need to be that confident. We need need to... Uh, to know those things with that certainty and that level of degree, to be able to, to declare them, to confess them, to, to hang on to them like an anchor of our soul. 
We need that. And he went on to say, live in the Holy Spirit. Give yourselves up fully to his bedoings. I love that word. <laughs> I never heard it before, but I know what it means. Give yourself up fully to his bedoings. In other words, to his workings, to his promptings, to his activity. And you will not have to say, I hardly know whether there be any Holy Ghost or not. So Paul, seeing this absence of the Spirit in their lives, said, into what then were you baptized? And here, here's as what I see is going on here. He, he asked that because he, he expects that if they are disciples, if they believed, if they were baptized into the name of Jesus, he also expects that they would have been taught about the Holy Spirit and would have received him and know that they have received him. And since this had not happened for these disciples, it's like Paul wants to know, hey, something went haywire. What went wrong? Okay? So he says, into what were you guys baptized anyway? Because something isn't right here is, is kind of what Paul's approach is. And I'm just going to say this. The normal Christian life is to be taught about the Holy Spirit. The normal Christian life is... is, is is to be taught about the Holy Spirit, to receive Him, to be filled with Him. That's the way it's supposed to be. Don't settle for anything less. I think I said earlier, I read some, some guy, very conservative theologically, said technically he said we, what we should do is teach people to believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and pray to receive the Holy Spirit. I mean, because that's, that's, that's what God has for us as we believe. They told Paul, we were baptized into John's baptism. And Paul, Paul said, John baptized with a baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him. That is on Christ Jesus. So they had that, that belief, but Paul led them into a more complete understanding about Christ and all that he accomplished for us at the cross and all that comes to us through faith in him. When they heard this, verse 5, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. They were baptized once, or they had been baptized once already when they believed uh, the message of John about Jesus. But now that they had a more complete understanding of Jesus and their salvation in him, they got baptized again in the name of Jesus. Verse 6, And when Paul had laid their hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now the men were about twelve in all. The Holy Spirit coming upon these men is presented by Luke, as, as I read this story, as like the grand finale to this story. What, what was missing is no longer missing. What was lacking is no longer lacking. These 12 men at Ephesus came into a more complete understanding about Jesus and the gospel, and they came into a more complete knowledge about the Holy Spirit. The, the, the Holy Spirit who was poured out in the church at the beginning was now personally received and experienced by these men. To be sure, the Holy Spirit has already been poured out today. We are not waiting for Pentecost. We're not waiting for a second or third or fourth or fifth Pentecost. But we each need to receive that which has been poured out. And I believe that with all my heart. 
And I know it gets real messy and confusing, and a lot of people believe a lot of different things. And I'm not really trying to argue all that. I'm just saying we all need to know the full experience of being filled with the Holy Spirit, receiving him, having him come upon us. And don't be satisfied of living a life without the Holy Spirit. Now, this is a text of Scripture that has sparked a lot of theological warfare. And every group, and believe me, I read a lot of them this last couple of weeks, every group has a spin on this story that protects their doctrines and beliefs. But Luke did not record this story to be controversial. <laughs> and certainly not to attack, cause Christians to attack each other over. <laughs> this story is intended to create encouragement and joy for all believers with the great and mighty acts of God in people's lives. Its purpose, I believe, I believe Luke ultimately recorded this story for us to shout glory to God. Yeah. Glory to God. God completed what was lacking. And these Apollos got to know more fully about Jesus. These men got to know more, more fully about Jesus. They came to the experience of being, uh, knowing fully that the Holy Spirit was in them and no longer having to question whether, whether they even knew about the Holy Spirit or not. You know, a, a lot of discussion has centered on whether they were Christians or, or not. And again, I, I quote David Guzik. He said, it's, it is difficult to say with certainty if they were already fully Christians or not. But one can say with certainty that Paul perceived they lacked something of the Holy Spirit in their lives. Whether they were already believers or became believers when Paul spoke to them more fully about Christ, we know for sure that Paul wanted them to have the full, full knowledge of Jesus and he wanted them to have the Holy Spirit and to know that they had the Holy Spirit. Just to be clear, the Bible teaches that we are born of the Spirit when we believe in Christ. In fact, the Holy Spirit is what makes us a child of God. Uh, the Holy Spirit is at work in all who believe. So, so in, in one sense, no truly born-again Christian needs to receive the Holy Spirit. But we are also to be filled with the Spirit to know the Holy Spirit and to experience the results of being filled with the Spirit. Personally, I agree with, with a view that, that John Piper has, has, has written about, and I think I passed out a paper on that last time I talked on something like this. And his, John Piper's view is that Luke is, when Luke talks about receiving the Spirit, he is talking about receiving the Holy Spirit in, a, in, a, in, a, in an experiential way in which we know that we have received him and that he is indwelling us in a way that impacts us and makes a difference in our lives. And it leads to things like praise and worship and singing and declaring the wonders of God and, and the various gifts of the Holy Spirit as happened with these men. So just to wrap up here, Our, our knowing the full extent of the gospel and being fully impacted by the gospel and our being filled with the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit and experiencing the gifts of the Holy Spirit is often experienced as a part of a spiritual journey. And though we uh, 
know things about Jesus from the moment of salvation, though we have the Spirit from the moment of salvation, for many of us it takes time and teaching and sometimes some kind of fresh work of God to be filled, to consciously walk and live in the Spirit. So as I see it, the takeaway from the story from this story is this. The gospel of Jesus Christ is worthy of our diligent pursuit to fully understand it and comprehend it and to fully understand all the implications for it that it has for our lives in dealing with our sin, dealing with our our thought processes, with dealing with our emotions, with every aspect of our life, letting the gospel have its full effect and impact on our lives so that so that we can walk in the joy and in the liberty and in the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And secondly, second thing I think, second takeaway is the, the promise of the Spirit is part of that gospel. And it's a promise that is worthy of our seeking to know about fully and to experience fully so that our hearts and minds are filled with the Spirit, expressing Him, manifesting Him in our homes and in the church, and where we work, in every relationship, in every situation, including when you're by yourself, we're to live lives that are filled with the Holy Spirit. That's, that's, that's the way that Jesus lives in us today. The Christianity is Jesus Christ living in me by the power, the reality, and presence of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray.